whether you're a Christian or not, we've all asked many questions like this. Where's God in all of this? Why won't he answer my prayers? Why is God letting me suffer? Why are there so many difficult people in my life? Why do I keep going back to the same sin over and over and over again? And does God even care? We're learning from a book called Jeremiah. And during this time, these people ask similar types of questions. And this people, this people of Israel, they were God's people. They were to follow God, to obey God, to live in harmony with God. But they decided to love and serve other gods. Like a marriage broken in infidelity, the wife or the husband decides to go out and find a different partner and worship other gods. And so they lost their land. Israel lost their land. They lost their temple. They lost their national identity. And this man, Jeremiah, he's a prophet. He speaks on behalf of God. He has a message from God and he shares it with the people. And Jeremiah, as a prophet, is given the task of warning Israel and the people, turn back to God. Turn away from your wicked ways. Turn away from your sin and turn to God. Seek after God. It's not a very popular message then. It's not a very popular message now. And Jeremiah had the task of being a prophet of God. Sharing the judgment of God. For 40 years, this was his job. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine being that guy? Oh, there's Jerry coming with that message. God's going to judge you. It's true. He didn't have many friends. He was married. And rejection after rejection of 40 years of this. He came alongside five different kings with this message. And it was true. And he's warning them, if you don't change your ways, if you don't turn back to God, Israel, you will be punished by sword, by famine, by captivity. And that's exactly what happened. They were captive. They were held captive by a nation called Babylon. And over 2,600 years ago, this Babylonian captivity of Israel was horrible. They took the people of Israel. They took God's people. People would see their friends and their families murdered in front of them. The Babylonians destroyed Israel. They robbed their temple. They ruined their economy. They removed their leaders. And they took these people thousands of miles away from their home. Where was God in all of this? Why is this happening to God's people? And maybe we ask that now. We look at Canada. We say, where is God? What's the state of our nation? Is Christianity thriving here? Is the word of God going out into cities, into suburban areas, into the countryside? Are people becoming Christians? Are leaders following after God? 
Are churches preaching the Bible? Are Christians sharing their faith? What's the state of Canada? We typically go the way of Europe. We look at Europe. It's almost a godless nation. Churches become Chinese food restaurants. I like Chinese food. But that's not what churches are for. They don't become Airbnbs and malls and things like that. Prior to COVID, between two to 300 churches shut their doors for the last time. COVID has accelerated that. We need to start more churches. We need to plant more churches just to keep up with the pace, but we're not. What's the state of Canada? Where is God? Jeremiah 29, the chapter we're in today, was written to answer many of these questions that you and I have, whether you're a believer or not. And chapter 29 was written to reassure Israel, God's people, that he has not abandoned them and that God has not forgotten his purpose for them. And this promise is true for you. That whatever you're going through, God has not forgotten about you. He has a plan. He has a future and a hope for you. And even when we can't see it, even when we can't see it in our lives, and I don't know what you're going through, the suffering, the turmoil, whatever it may be, God's plans are always good. His plans are always good. And this is the main idea I want you to get. That present circumstances, present circumstances do not define ultimate reality for the Christian. Present circumstance, whatever circumstance you find yourself in, this chapter in your life does not define the story that God is writing in your life. So we're in Jeremiah chapter 29. I'll read a little bit, explain a little bit, and we'll go from there. Jeremiah chapter 29, starting verse 1. Jeremiah wrote a letter from Jerusalem to the elders, priests, prophets, and all the people who had been exiled to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. This was after King, King Jehoiakim, the queen mother, the court officials, the other officials of Judah and all the craftsmen and artisans and had uh, been deported from Jerusalem. He sent the letter with Elasa, son of Shaphan, and Demariah, son of Hilkiah, when they went to Babylon as King Zedekiah's ambassadors to Nebuchadnezzar. This is what Jeremiah's letter said. This is what the Lord of Heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children. They find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply. Do not dwindle away. And work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. For its welfare will determine your welfare. So God's people are held captive in Babylon. They're in a godless place, a place that is hostile and hates God and hates the Israelites. And Jeremiah writes this letter to the people who are in exile. What do we do now, now that we're in Babylon? What do we do? 
does he say, destroy it, rebel, protest, free yourselves from captivity? No, he doesn't say that. He doesn't say that. Verse 5, it says, build homes, plan to stay, plant gardens and eat the food they produce, marry and have children, then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren, multiply, do not dwindle away, and work for the peace and the prosperity of this city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. Despite the fact they're living in a godless city, a godless nation, he says, God wants you to live normal lives. Plant gardens. Eat at local restaurants. Be a good neighbor. Have children. Set your children up with other children. Well, not children. <laughs> not here. No, I can't. Well, nowhere. That's not good. Adults, have grandchildren. Multiply. Grow the nation that you would, you would multiply. You'd be prosperous there. Bless the city. Pray for the city. Pray for the leaders of the city. Seems backwards, doesn't it? And so wherever you find yourself, whether you live here or elsewhere around the world, you might be thinking, I live in a godless nation. I live in a godless neighborhood. Nobody knows Jesus. Nobody cares about God. God's saying to you, be a good neighbor. Show the love of God to your neighbor. Shovel the sidewalk. Pick up trash. Be nice to the cashier. Be nice to the servers. When you're on the phone with people, be patient with them. And work. Verse 7. And work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you. And so these people, they might have thought that they were just stolen and plopped in this place. And now they're just sitting ducks. No. They have a mission even if they didn't know it. Jeremiah literally says in verse 7, work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Was it an accident that they're in Babylon? No. God has sent them there. They were not captured by Babylon. God sent them there. The exiles were not captives. They were God's missionaries. This is true for you, dear Christian. If you're a believer, wherever you find yourself, you are on mission to bless the city, to feed the poor, to care for the widows, to seek the good of your city. Because it says, when the city is prosperous, when the city is doing well, so you will prosper. So you will do well. We don't use the city to build great churches. We use the church to build a great city for the glory of God. And wherever you find yourself, whatever spheres of influence you find yourself in, you permeate your sector of life with the love of God so that the city would be blessed, that your community would be blessed. We are on mission. And one of the best ways to do that is through prayer. Through prayer. We have this amazing access to the God of the universe who spoke everything into existence, created the cosmos, 
created an outer space that we can barely comprehend and he didn't break a sweat. And he chooses to speak to us. And he says, I will listen to you, my son, my daughter. You can pray. Pray for Whitehorse. Pray for whatever city or community you're in. Babylon is an enemy of Israel. Yet in verse 7, this is the only verse in the entire Old Testament that explicitly says, pray for your enemies. Pray for your enemies. Do not mock them. Do not complain about them. Pray for them. Do we grumble? Do we look at our leadership in our current electoral state? Do we look over at our government who officiates our nation and mock them? Do we pray for them? Pray for them. Pray for our enemies. Because when the city prospers, the people of God prosper. And when I say prosper, I'm not saying we're going to be rich. Let's just make Whitehorse this super wealthy, rich place and we'll all be millionaires. That's not what I mean. We're looking for peace. We're looking for harmony and goodness in our city. And so God, he tells the Israelites, be patient where you are. Be patient where you are. God has a plan. We continue in verse 8. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says. Do not let your prophets and fortune tellers who are with you in the land of Babylon trick you. Do not listen to their dreams because they are telling you lies in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. This is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 years, but, when, but then I will come and do for you all the things I have promised, and I will bring you home again. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster. Give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you and will bring you home again to your own land. God is saying, yes, you are held captive right now for a finite amount of time. There will be a time limit to this. Seventy years you will be set. Seventy years. Seventy quick years. Seventy years? I want things fixed at the end of the week, not at the end of the century. God, you need to do something now. Why don't you do anything now? Where are you in my life now? We love microwaves and sometimes disdain ovens. And we'd skip the microwave if we could. Get that Pop-Tart. Five seconds in the microwave? That's, that's pretty crazy. If we don't have margin for five seconds, we've got to maybe relook at our life and navigate a few things. Seventy years you will be there. And God says in verse 11, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. There are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. If you're a Christian here, how many of you have a canvas 
or a picture of this or a coffee mug or a t-shirt that has this verse. Jeremiah 29.11. You're not a real Christian until you have this on your car. Jeremiah 29.11. For I know the plans I have for you. And we, we take that and we think it's about us. We think the whole Bible is about us. I'm the center of the universe. This is a great verse for me. I have a great plan for me. God has a great plan for me. Then we can work together. This verse isn't primarily individualistic. We are very self-centered. It's about an entire people group. It's about God's people. It's about Israel. So when we hear you, we think you as in the community. And when he says, I have plans for good, the literal translation in the original language is closer to the word peace. Peace in the Hebrew is shalom. Shalom. This peace, this harmony, this happiness, this order. To have this peace, to have this shalom, it means that all is right with the city. And we seek the peace of the city. And we wait for his plan. We need shalom in our life. We need peace in our life. Peace between us and God. Peace between one another. But when we look around, we don't have that. We have factions. We have church splits. We have people who kill each other. We have people who steal from each other. We do not have peace. We have one race against another race. We have one people group against another people group. We look around and there is no shalom. God says, seek after it. I have a plan. You need to wait for my plan. What is the plan? What is your plan, God? What is God's plan? Well, verse 12, it says, if you pray, when my people pray to him, I will listen to you. Verse 13, if you seek him, you will find him. Verse 14, he will end their captivity and restore their fortune. He will gather them out of the nations where I sent you and bring them home again to their own land. God's purpose in all of this is to bring his people into an intimate relationship with him. It is not primarily for our self-esteem. It is not primarily for our pocketbook. It is not primarily for our ego. We were made for God. You and I are made for God and he is working out his plan. So if you follow after God, there is no reason to complain. We cannot complain about the present. Because when we complain, we are not trusting in what God is doing. The definition of a plan is that it is not done yet. He is in process. You are in process. I am in process. Whatever is happening to you, God knows. He is there with you. This is a plan for you. Israel is held in captivity for 70 years in some of the most horrific humanitarian crimes committed there. And we pray for them. We seek their peace. We must not complain. Christians can't grow cynical. Can't grow bitter towards God, towards one another, towards a nation. 
God has plans for hope in the future. And we must give him the time, his perfect time to work it out. Yet despite all of this, despite these warnings from Jeremiah, despite this promise from Jeremiah, his people were not patient and continued to rebel against God. And God would bring judgment. Verse 15. You claim that the Lord has raised up prophets for you in Babylon. But this is what the Lord says about the king who sits on David's throne and all those still living here in Jerusalem. Your relatives who are not exiled to Babylon, this is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. I will send war, famine, and disease upon them and make them like bad figs too rotten to eat. Yes, I will pursue them with war, famine, disease, and I will scatter them around the world and every nation where I send them. I will make them an object of damnation, horror, contempt, and mockery. For they refuse to listen to me. Thou hast spoken to them repeatedly through the prophets I sent. And you are in exile. You who are in exile have not listened either, says the Lord. Therefore, listen to this message from the Lord. All you captives there in Babylon, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says about your prophets. Ahab, son of Kaliah, and Zedekiah, son of Messiah, were telling you lies in my name. I will turn them over to Nebuchadnezzar for execution before your eyes. The terrible fate will become proverbial so that the Judean exiles will curse someone by saying, May the Lord make you like Zedekiah and Ahab, whom the king of Babylon burned alive. For these men have done terrible things among my people. They have committed adultery with their neighbor's wives and have lied in my name, saying things I do not command. And I am witness to this. I, the Lord, have spoken. God's, God's people who are in exile, some didn't live by faith in God. There are many in the church today who do not live by faith in God. And Jeremiah told the sad story of these two men who did not, Ahab and Zedekiah, these false prophets, these liars of God who were named after two evil kings. And they were impatient. They didn't want to wait 70 years. They don't want to wait these couple decades for God to work out his plan. They wanted something to happen now. And so they took matters into their own hands. And they essentially started a synagogue to tell people what they wanted to hear. In church language, we call that a seeker-sensitive synagogue or a seeker-sensitive church. You just tell people what they want to hear. Listen, God says 70 years, but actually not. Maybe next week. God wants your best life now. You shouldn't be sick. You're going to be a millionaire someday. You just need to give. You need to give to the synagogue. You need to pay money. God will bless you. He'll heal you of your sickness. The reason you're sick is because you don't give enough money to the ministry. This is a damning, evil, demonic teaching that exists not only here and then, but now. You have false prophets, liars in the church, Claiming to be Christians, Kenneth Copeland, you have Todd White, you have Benny Hinn. You have these people who want your money, and God will judge them. This is not the gospel. This is not the message that God has given us. It is a lie. Pray for them, that they would turn. 
these seeker-sensitive synagogues. We have this seeker-sensitive movement in churches where we don't talk about hell. We don't talk about God's judgment. People come to church and they want to feel better, and we'll help you do that. You need a spouse? We'll help you find one. We're, we're a genie. We don't say the hard things. So we don't do the hard things. Churches across Canada, do we just sit here and expect God to do something while we, living in the city, living in Whitehorse or wherever you are, do nothing? I was talking to a gentleman the other day. I said, he's been a Christian his whole life, involved in the church. I said, what was, we're talking about evangelism sharing the good news of Jesus with somebody. And I asked, when was the last time you did that? He didn't remember. Years, maybe? People don't just show up to church. People don't just come to know Christ randomly. We must go and tell them about God. We must go and tell them about this God who offers hope and a future amidst your pain. Are we doing that? Are we doing that? We're telling people what they wanted to hear. That the exile is almost over. God won't judge you. Everybody goes to heaven. There's a lie. You don't get this in the Bible. And so these two men, they were treated disgracefully. And they essentially became swear words during the time. Jeremiah saying, don't be like them. Seek God. If you don't know him, if you're listening online, if you're sitting here, you don't know God, seek him. Have you wandered away from God, dear Christian? Is your faith in shambles? Is the Bible just a drab, dead book to you? Is going to church just a chore? Is prayer just an unthinkable burden? Seek him. Seek him while he still may be found. Have you forgotten him? Have other things taken precedent, 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 over God? Throw those things aside. Realign your life that you could seek after God in your family, in your singleness, in your widowhood, whatever it is. Seek him. Jesus repeats the same wonderful promise that we hear in Jeremiah 29. Jesus Christ says it in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 to 8. God in the flesh, Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago said this. Keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. We must seek after God. All of us. Everyone. This is what we tell everyone. Seek after God. Turn from your false religion. Turn to Jesus. We seek after God because... 
everything he does is for the ultimate good and peace of his people. What else would we want? This is why we need more healthy churches in the Yukon and around the world. But it's going to take more than being a good neighbor and shoveling your sidewalk and being kind. It's more than pursuing social justice. We could do all of these things. We could do all of these things for Whitehorse. We can go and feed every hungry tummy. We can go and save every cat stuck in a tree. We can wipe off all the graffiti from every wall. Yet, Whitehorse would still not know Jesus. We must tell people about the one who seeks our peace and good, and that is Jesus Christ alone. And these things are a byproduct of knowing and having peace with God. Our hostility towards him, our judgment that we deserve was fully absorbed by Jesus Christ on our behalf. And because of what Jesus Christ accomplished, we are forgiven. We have peace with God. We are no longer enemies. We can go before the king of the universe and speak to him. We can ask him to help us when we are weak. Help me read the Bible. Help me to pray with my children. Help me to pray with my spouse. Help me to pray with my coworkers. Help me, God. He's seeking our ultimate good, and it is found in Jesus Christ alone. Do you know him? Let's not play church. Let's not go through the motions. We're talking about eternity here. Our city, Whitehorse, cannot know the peace of Jesus Christ without hearing about his life, his death, and his resurrection. Many of us, we play the game where if we're just relational, just build relationships, and then they're going to ask me about Jesus. That might happen. And we should be kind, and people should question why we don't do certain things and why we do certain things. But that's not evangelism. We need to share a message. The gospel is inherently a message that the world needs to hear, but the world rejects. In Canada, it is soon becoming disgraceful, distasteful, and dangerous to be a Christian, they think. We don't have the same values as the world, so let's cancel them. The gates of hell will not prevail against what God is doing. Seek the peace that only comes from God. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have what? We have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ the Lord has done for us. We have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. We cannot earn this. We cannot keep it. We do not deserve it. It is all of grace, unmerited favor towards you and I. 
This is amazing news. Why wouldn't we share this? What preoccupies us? This message should be swirling in our minds and in our hearts. And when we talk to people, we should want them to know this amazing God we know. That we would have eternal peace and that you could have eternal peace. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. God offers you the same peace by faith alone. By faith alone. We must seek the peace of Whitehorse. We must seek the peace of our city. It is the basis of everything we do. Because we want people to make much of Jesus. We want people to glorify Jesus. We want His name known. Above every name. Above every psychological method. Above above every medication that people think they can get to have peace. I'm not against medication. But we must elevate the Prince of Peace above all things and seek after Him. And when we find ourselves in very difficult, difficult situations, we can rest. We can have actual peace and rest in God's enduring promises that He would never leave us or forsake us. And He's giving us hope and future with Him. Seek after God, dear Christian. Let us embrace an amazingly beautiful, gracious God who offers a peace that surpasses all understanding. Let's see Whitehorse come to know Jesus Christ. Let's see our nation come back to its foundational biblical scripture that our founding members of our nation based it on a psalm in the Bible that God would have dominion from sea to sea. May we have that in Canada. May we have that in North America. May we have it across the globe that people would know the peace of God and that we would celebrate this King together for an eternity forever and ever. Amen. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, the message that Jeremiah has is very heavy. Would you lighten that? Would you help us know that your yoke is easy, that your burden is light? And would we know that all things that are necessary to have peace with you has been accomplished through Jesus Christ. We want our families to know Jesus. We want our city to know Jesus. Would you give us a boldness? Would you encourage us to open our mouths? We would see people come to know Jesus and communities changed and families transformed and reconciled for the glory of God, for the goodness of the gospel, for the peace of our city, for the eternal kingdom that is to come. We welcome and invite everyone. Help our cowardice. Help our pride and our scarce 
desire to want to share this message. Embolden us, Father, that we would see White Horse on its knees praising you, no matter the race and tribe and tongue, that we would worship King Jesus, Prince of Peace, for all eternity, for your glory. Amen.